0: David, no more pinching that baby. Okay. Well, we're continuing our, our study in the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 5. I would ask you to turn uh, together with me to Joshua chapter 5. It was written a long time ago long before any of us were here, long before any of our parents or grandparents or even great-great-grandparents before they were there. And and you think, well, what an old book. What does it it mean to me? Well, it is God's Word. God inspired the author of Hebrews to write it down so that they're His words. And so uh, God is not dead. He's still alive, and He still communicates to us through His Word. And so this is God's Word, not only to... Uh, the uh, the first generation of the Israelites coming into the lands when when uh, this took place, but it's God's word to us today, four thousand years later on the other side of the world. We need to remember that, and so out of honor and respect for God's word, if you're able, stand together with me as we read <clears throat> Joshua chapter five. We're going to read the first twelve verses. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until uh, we had crossed over, their hearts melted, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on their way leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert forty years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land uh, that he had solemnly promised to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained uh, where they were in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the fourteenth day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the lamb, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after. They ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Thus far, I'm reading God's Word. You may be seated. It's important for us to uh, remember our history, isn't it? Uh, it's important that, uh, you know... Most of us in here, when we were growing up in school, we got taught American history from the earliest years. We were we were told about uh, you know our, our uh, revolution and how uh, uh, George Washington was so important in our revolution. He chopped down the cherry tree and you know his his uh, being the uh, the truthful man that he was when he was asked who chopped down this cherry tree. I can't tell a lie. It was me, right? That sort of thing. Um, we remember uh, things such as uh, uh, the uh, the uh, a tea party uh, there in the uh, uh, in Boston, and how uh, those uh, uh, those patriots dressed up as Indians and went in, and they, they you know threw all the the tea that was heavily taxed overboard, and they called it the Boston Tea Party. We remember that. We remember that uh, you know the, the founding of our nation was so important. And that was remembered for so many years, especially as we, most of us, grew up and being taught that. We saw how important it was. And so our our government kind of, we saw that it was important for our government to kind of keep that sort of thing. Limited government was what we were all about. Well, we see that after years of not being taught uh, the same sort of thing in schools, kind of what it's come to. I'm, I'm not trying to be political here, but I do want to suggest that for many uh, in our nation, and many even in Washington D.C., in uh, in uh, the place of government, they've forgotten these things, uh, or maybe just intentionally uh, don't want to remember them. So we see how important it is to to know our history and to study these things. If it's important for us, it was so much more, as a nation, it's so much more important for us as God's people to study the history and to know it. And that's why over and over again in Scripture, uh, God's people are always brought back to remembering what has taken place. Even this morning, we come here on the first Sunday of the month, and we come to this table, and Jesus says, Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I have done It is so important to be remembering what the Lord has done. And so the book of Joshua is always, you're not going to understand the book of Joshua unless you understand the history that took place before that. You may find some important or some some good stories. Maybe you can uh, gain some moral uh, applications from them. You know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. They trusted in the Lord. You need to trust in the Lord. But that's not really getting the full picture of Joshua now, is it? And Joshua is constantly taking us back and taking the people back there to the promises that God had made so many years to Abraham, so many years before to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And it reminds us that this promise of the of the land that was given to Abraham would be was repeated to Moses. And now Moses uh that, that promise that was to Moses is now Reminded to the people through Joshua, the promise that the people would receive the land of Canaan as an inheritance. This is what they're getting. And it was promised to Abraham way back then, and, it, and Abraham was told it would be you know, a long time before it would happen. It would be over 400 years before it ha- would happen. And so the people now—they've been in, in captivity for 400 years. God sends Moses to deliver them. They go into the wilderness for, for 40 years, and it was—you know—early on in that 40 years, they come to the, to the border of the inheritance that they're to receive. And they send in the spies and and ten come back with a bad report, two come back with a good report. And what do the people do? They they lament and they say, we can't go in and take take these people. It's too much for us. And then they go on to be much more disobedient to God as they're tempted in the wilderness and they continue to fail in these temptations. And so we, we see, even in our passage today, that God was displeased with their... With their disobedience, and so they wander, and they all die, and Moses, their leader, now is dead as well. And now, as we recall the very first chapter of Joshua, the Lord comes to Joshua and says, "Moses, my servant is dead. Now you take the people and go take possession of the land that was promised so long ago." You can't you can't understand the book of Joshua without understanding his history. So important. And so now we've seen that the, the people and they're coming to take possession of what has been promised to them. In chapter 4, they, they cross the, the Jordan. It's during flood stage. No way they should have been able to cross it with all the, the boulders and the trees and everything else washing downstream. But God has a way of making the, stand, the water stand up and the, the ground be dry and they cross over on dry ground. And now here they are finally in the lands that God has promised to them 500 years before. Now that they are there, what do they do? What's What's the most important thing for them to do as they come first in taking possession of the promise that God has given to them? Well, I think we see it here in Joshua 5, verses 1 through 12. The first things that they do... And so with that in mind, I want us to, to look at the, uh, how, how in this passage they come, and the first things that they're doing as they come to Gilgal is they're, they're celebrating the sacraments. And it's so important. First, I want you to see there's, there's three, three main things I want us to see from this passage. And the first thing as we, as we get into it, is uh, and, and it does have to do with the, the sacraments, and hopefully you'll see that in just a minute. But first thing is a criticism of the people. We find it in verse five, first portion of verse five. Said all the people came, uh, that came out had been circumcised, but the people born in the desert during their journey from Egypt had not. Um, so they they had not been uh, circumcised, and they all died in the wilderness. They all die in the wilderness, he says in verse 5, because they had not obeyed the Lord. Uh, we see it again in verse 6. They had not obeyed the Lord. And as they uh, had not obeyed the Lord, they are, are, are prevented from going into the promised land. It's interesting that all of those who came out had been circumcised. What was circumcision um, all about? Well, it was a sign that they were God's people, right? They were part of the people of God, and yet they're not receiving the promises of God. Um, One commentator has said, you can have all the marks of the people of God, but lack the response of the people of God. You can receive the sacrament, but have no faith. Paul is right. You can experience the exodus, eat the manna, drink the water from the rock, and remain in unbelief. We find that in 1 Corinthians 10. You may hold membership among God's flock, but have no relationship with the shepherd. You may live in God's country, but reject his sovereignty. That's what the people have done here, and that's what Joshua is saying right off the bat. They didn't get to go in because they have disobeyed the Lord. Not only did they not get to go in, but during their time in the wilderness... They were not continuing with the sign of circumcision, which was so, so very important. Hold your place here, but I want you to go back to uh, Genesis chapter 17 with me. Genesis chapter 17 is where God comes to Abraham and he says, and and he gives Abraham the sign, the sign uh, of circumcision. And I want you to see some of why it is so important here. In Genesis 17, with me in verses 10 and 11, God giving this sign to Abraham. He says, This is my covenant with you for uh, and, and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Here he's equating the sign and the seal of the covenant with the very covenant himself. And he is giving it to Abraham. And he says... Um, Every male among you is to be circumcised. Um, you are to undergo circumcision, and this will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For every for generations to come, every male among you uh, who is eight days old must be circumcised including, circumcised, including those born in your household, or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, and so on. You, you are to circumcise him. This is my covenant. This means that you are the ones who are uh, receiving my covenant a major aspect of the covenant is a promise god makes a covenant with man and and every covenant is it involves these great promises what was it that god had promised to the israelites look back with me in genesis 17 verse 8 he says the whole land of canaan Where you are now an alien, I will give to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be your God. Okay, now they're going to receive this sign of the covenant. Major aspect of the covenant is the promise. What is the promise? Uh, The great promise of the covenant is I will be your God and you will be my people. But there is another promise here involved with the covenant as well. And the covenant sign... What's this covenant sign to be significant of? Well, God has made a promise and God will keep his promise. What's the promise here specifically? We just saw it in verse 8. I'm going to give you this land. You receive the sign of the promise, God promising he's going to give you this land. Well, now, here are the people in the wilderness, and out of their disobedience, they're no longer giving this sign to their children. What a a sad thing it would be. They're, They're not able to receive this sign of the promise of God that this land was theirs. And so, the criticism of the people, because of their disobedience, they're not receiving the sign and the seal of this promise at this time. And so we go on to not only see the criticism of God's people because of their disobedience. They who who left uh, uh, Egypt being circumcised, they all died in the wilderness. They're not going to receive the land because of their disobedience to the Lord. And the sign and the seal of the promises of God has not been given during their whole 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So that brings us to a second thing I want you to see in verse 6. Um, back in uh, Joshua uh, chapter 5 verse 6 the Israelites moved about the desert for 40 years until all the men of military age uh, when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us a, a land flowing with milk and honey This is kind of an interesting passage here because there's two places here the Lord swears. The NIV says, uh, He swore that they would not enter the land. And he says, But He swore that He swore to give to their forefathers. The NIV says, He solemnly promised. He swore to give to their forefathers. He swore, You're not going to receive it, but He swore to the forefathers that their descendants are going to receive it. We see that swearing to their forefathers in, in Numbers chapter 14. Verses 20 to 23, after uh, the, the people have, rebe- have rebelled against the Lord, the Lord repry- uh, replied, uh, I have forgiven them as you asked to Moses. He's asked God to forgive them, not wipe them out. He says, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one man who saw my glory uh, and, a miraculous, and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times will uh, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers no one who has treated me con- with contempt will ever see it the Lord swears they will not see the land <laughs> but he is already but, but he, he swore it to the forefathers that their their descendants would see the land, Genesis 12, 15, and 17. So the Lord kind of skips this generation, this generation that came to the edge of it. He says, you're not going to see it because of your disobedience, but your children are going to. God is still keeping His promise to His people. promise He made 500 years earlier, you're going to see it. And so just because... He tells the the generation that left Egypt, uh, he swore you're not going to receive it. doesn't mean God is not not, uh, faithful to his promise, but he does. And so God, in fulfilling his promise now to uh, this this generation that uh, was not born, they were born, I guess, in the the wilderness, now he's fulfilling it to them. They cross over on dry ground. I want you to notice something. Verse verse 1 here of Joshua chapter 5 as they cross over on dry ground. It's been flood stage. I'm sure the Amorite kings knew that they were there, knew that they were on the other side of the Jordan. But they're thinking it's flood time. During this flood time, we've got plenty of time to prepare and get ourselves ready and armed and and prepare for them, and they can't come over until the flood stage is down. They They didn't... think that God would do this miraculous thing that he does and allowing the Israelites to cross over on dry ground. And so now they see, we're not quite ready for them to come. The ba- we're not ready for this battle. And look what their God has done. He's dried up the Jordan so that they have come across, even during flood stage. And what is what is their attitudes? We see at the end of verse, verse 1 there, Their hearts melted, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. What a great thing God is doing for them, right? Their enemies are downcast. Their enemies are in no stage to stand up against them. Their enemies aren't prepared to fight them. Their enemies are discouraged. They will be easy pickings, right? So let's go in, and let's go in and take them right away. But that's not what God does, is it? He doesn't say, now they're ripe. They've seen you cross the Jordan. They know that I'm in control, And they're they're not ready to fight you. Go take them. Now's the right time. But that's not what he does. What does God do? Verse 2. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. This is odd. You come across and your enemy is ripe for the taking, but you decide to circumcise all of your males, all of your fighting men. What does this do to your fighting men? If you recall the story in uh, Genesis chapter 34, where um, some of uh, Jacob's children. Uh, get mad because the those in Shechem have, have violated their sister Diana, and so uh, they go in and make a treaty with them and say, "We won't kill you, um, but but you and, and we'll give you our sister Diana because one of them wanted to marry her." They say, well, we'll do it, but you've got to agree to you've got to agree to receiving the sign of the covenant that God has given us. You've got to be circumcised." So all of their men are circumcised. The third day after you see this in, in Genesis 34, the third day after they're circumcised, they're in no condition to lift a finger to protect themselves at all. Jacob's children goes in and slaughters every one of them. That's what circumcision does to fighting men. It disables them. And here Israel goes in, their enemies are ready to be taken, but God says be circumcised. What will that do to you? Well, your enemies now can come take you because you can't lift a finger to to defend yourselves. But this is what God does. You see, circumcision was quite important to the Lord. It was quite important, so important that you may recall the story of of, uh, Moses and his child getting quite ill uh, because he hadn't been circumcised. And so his wife finally circumcised him and brings back his health. It's important to God that you receive the sign of the covenant that God had given to them. Very important to God. And so it's important for God's people who have come into the land now to be circumcised. Why? Remember what circumcision is about It's God's sign and seal of the covenant, the covenant which includes the promise. This land is yours. I'm giving it to you. You come into the land and you don't receive this sign, you may be thinking, I'm taking it. You may forget that this is my promise, but if you go in and the first thing you do is receive the sign, you remember, this is my covenant promise to you. This is important to God. He says, you're going to receive the sign, the sign and the seal that I'm making. It's as if I had written you a letter and, and closed it up and, and, and put the wax on it and sealed it with my signet ring. And when you opened it up and you saw the promises, you knew it was from me. That's what circumcision is all about here. Signing and sealing the promises that God has given to his people. So it's so very important for them as they cross over and before they begin the battles to receive this sign, to recognize that this is God's gift to them, His promise, the inheritance that they're going to receive. God is faithful to His promise to us. We often need to be reminded of it. We're reminded with baptism, that one-time event that that, that we, we do which places us within the family of God and reminds us of His promise that whoever puts their trust and faith in Him will be saved. That's God's promise to us, and that's what baptism is signifying. If you put your trust in God, He is faithful. He will save you. Before you go into battle into the world, before you go to take the inheritance that God has given you, before you go to to do all the things that He's called you to do, He calls you, first of all, to remember. Remember with the sacrament that He has given you. Thirdly, we see in our passage uh, not only the, the criticism of the people. And uh, why they hadn't been circumcised, that we see the certainty of God's promise and Him uh, uh, giving them the sign once again uh, as they come into the land. Uh, thirdly, I want you to see the, the, the con- uh, uh, continuing of God's provision. Verses 10 and 11. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread, and roasted grain. The manna stops the day after they ate the food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of the land. So they go over, and the first thing they do is receive the sign of circumcision, reminding them of the promise of God. And then as soon as they've recovered from that, what do they do? They go into battle, right? Nope, nope, they don't go into battle. But again, they come to once again receive something that they're instructed to do, another sacrament, the sacrament of Passover. You are to to do this always. What was Passover all about? God has made a promise to give you this land, to be your God and you would be his people. And he's going to deliver you from the Egyptians in order to save you so that you can take possession of what he's given you. Now, the, the, what he did in order to make that happen, you need to remember. And so every year you are to celebrate Passover, remembering what the Lord has done. And so they get into the land. First thing, receiving the sign, God has made this promise to us. Second thing, they, they celebrate they celebrate the Passover, which is another sign for God, reminding them of the work that he has done to bring this to pass. And just as God had provided for them coming out of Egypt, He provided for them through, throughout their time in the wilderness. They became hungry and didn't have any food. And what does God do? He provides manna from heaven to come down. And they just go out and pick it up every, every morning to sustain them throughout their, their time in the wilderness. It was still going on. They've crossed the Jordan. They've come into the land. It's still going on. God is still providing manna for them to eat until they come and they partake of the Passover. And that very day of Passover, it says, they eat unleavened bread and roasted grain that were products of the land. They were products of the land. Man is not necessary any longer. God has provided for them in a different way. God has provided with them from the produce of the land. He's been miraculously providing it with manna from heaven and now he's providing it in ordinary ways, ordinary means. We so often want to look for God's provision in some sort of extraordinary way, right? And God sometimes provides for us in extraordinary ways. I used to hear of it uh, every year in Bible college, every, every weekday we had uh, chapel and once a month we would have testimony chapel and inevitably someone would get up here in testimony chapel and, and talk about how they were in some financial crisis, didn't have any money, didn't have a need and all they did was prayed. They went to their mailbox and opened it up and pulled out an envelope and they looked in there it was exactly how much they needed. And I always wanted that. So I was always praying, God, I have a need here. Give it to me in my box. You know, I might have needed some new running shoes or something. I don't know. But uh, it never happened to me that way. But as I look back, I graduated from college with no debt. I graduated from seminary, no debt. God was providing that whole time. It's just he had a different way of providing for me in the ordinary ways. It's the ordinary, everyday sort of way. God is now still providing for His people. Even though He stopped giving them manna from heaven, now He's doing it in a more uh, more typical sort of way. You're growing what you need from the land. Ordinary means. God continues to provide for us. Most of us in here are it with the ordinary means that, that He gives to us. So this morning as we look at this passage and we're reminded of God reminding them of their history and the sacraments which reminds us of our history and, and the sacraments which point us to God and His, His promises and His work and their signs and their seals of that, we need to be reminded this morning as we, we come to the Lord's table We're reminded of the work that He has done for us, delivering us from our slavery, not to Egypt, but to sin. He's delivered us, and before we can go out and and do the work of, of, of receiving our inheritance, we need to be reminded of His great promise to us and His great provision for us in Christ Jesus. God has called us to take uh, the inheritance that he has promised to us, but we must continue always uh, to, to look to him and, and be reminded that he is the one uh, giving it to us. Well, let's pray.